This is Law of Attraction Explored. I'm Tim Grimes. If you'd like a free guide that explains the hidden link between relaxation and the Law of Attraction, or if you want more information about my books or my coaching, you can visit RadicalCounselor.com. Enjoy the episode. So I thought that we could continue on today just talking a little bit more about Neville's approach. Obviously, I've written a fair amount about Neville's approach in Relax More, Try Less, Mindful Manifestation, and Manifestation Through Relaxation. And one reason I don't discuss Neville as much as some of the other teachers on this podcast is because I've written so much about him already. I don't really have much more to add. I still love Neville's work, and he's one of my favorite Law of Attraction teachers for sure. And I've enjoyed seeing more people get into his stuff and talk about his stuff the last couple of years, particularly on places like YouTube. There's much more commentary about Neville's work than there used to be, which I think is great. And with that said, what I often have noticed is that people focus a lot of the time on Neville's later work, his post-promise, post-1959, 1960-ish work. His lectures were recorded more um, you know, in the 60s than his earlier lectures, which are very hard to find his actual voice recorded in the 40s and 50s. He did some radio shows, but generally speaking, most of his lectures were not recorded and are not intact. While his 1960s lectures are intact, at least some of them are, and those are very prominent if you go on YouTube. And as I've stated elsewhere, Neville's teachings really um, took a turn after the promise, which is understandable. He had this big spiritual experience, this big spiritual epiphany for him. However, this spiritual epiphany that he had, in my opinion, you know, affected his teaching on a practical level negatively, and it muddled it a lot. I really recommend, unless you relate to the promise experience that Neville had, which frankly most of you will not, and in my opinion, it's just his own subjective experience and not a universal experience that people have. So unless you relate to that promise exp experience that Neville had, I would really recommend relying and looking at his pre-promise teachings from like 1939 to 1959, those 20 years, as opposed to the 1960 to 1972 teachings, because the later teachings are much, much more muddled because they're clouded with all this imagery that is related to the promise. And just to be frank, I've stated this elsewhere, you know, I think most of that is bullshit, especially on a practical level. Neville's practical stuff is so helpful, even though it's so far out there, you know, and he talks about assuming the state, embodying the state, using your imagination to become what you want to be better than anybody, particularly in his work from, you know, 1939 to 1959 or thereabouts. And probably his most practical book, they're all, they're all you know, disarmingly practical because, again, he's discussing far out stuff. And, and books like Feeling is the Secret and the Power of Awareness, even though they're way out there, there's this, you know, amazing practical element to them. But probably his most practical book is Five Lessons, which, again, I've already mentioned this on the podcast, but it's just a collection of five lessons that he gave in Los Angeles in the late 40s. And in multiple of those lessons, he references his own experiences and, you know, probably his most famous manifesting experience, period, 
is the experience he had when he was working with Abdullah and he wanted to go to Barbados. Anybody who's familiar with Neville's work knows this story. You know, Neville in the early 30s um, didn't have any money and he was learning about these manifesting principles and he had been into esoteric religious practices for years and had been making his living as basically, you know, in the theater as a dancer. And he was penniless and Abdullah told him if he really wanted to go to Barbados for the winter that he had to assume he was in Barbados and he would be there. And, you know, Neville didn't know how that would happen. And Abdullah was very, you know, straightforward and brazen in saying, you are in Barbados. Assume you are in Barbados and you are in Barbados. And he basically wouldn't talk to Neville about it after he said that. You know, when Neville asked him, you know, how is this going to happen? Abdullah just said, you are already in Barbados. There's nothing that's going to happen. You are in Barbados. And of course, the story goes that, you know, quote unquote, miraculously, you know, he Neville got a, a ticket to Barbados via his brother and, you know, had a wonderful time going down to Barbados in first class, even though he was supposed to be in third class and, you know, had a wonderful trip to Barbados and it was transformational for him because he realized the power of the law that Abdullah was talking about. And this this law, as they called it, is what Neville ended up teaching. From the late 30s until you know his death, Neville talked about the law. And he talked about it most clearly, in my opinion, from you know the late 30s until the late 50s. So what I'd, I'd like to just excerpt from Neville today from Five Lessons is not this story of him going to Barbados, you know, and how that happened. Most of you have already heard that before, and it's a wonderful story. But something that's very interesting, and one reason that Five Lessons is such a great book, the kind of book you can go back and read or listen to again and again, are all the nuances. And one of my favorite nuances in Five Lessons is uh, Neville talking about when he came back from Barbados. So he went to Barbados um, in this miraculous way, in uh, late 1933, and he came back in February of 1934. And I'm going to read to you what he, what happened when he came back, how Abdullah responded to him. When I came back to New York in 1934, after three heavenly months in Barbados, I drank, I smoked, and did everything I had not done in years. I remembered what Abdullah had said to me. After you have proven this law, you will become normal, Neville. You will come out of that graveyard. You will come out of that dead past where you think you are being holy. For all you are really doing, you know, you are being so good, Neville. You are good for nothing. You will come out of that graveyard, is what Abdullah instructed him. And I realize now, I guess Abdullah might have told him that even before he left for Barbados. You will come out of that graveyard. What does that mean? This is a a great line from this book. In my opinion, it means what we were talking about last episode, where no one cares. No one cares what your inner state is. No one really cares, except for you, yourself. You see, we see so often with spiritual practices, not just in the law of attraction, but in general, where people do all these atypical things to try to become holy, to become special, to change their inner state. You know, they do all these things that are external to changing themselves. You know, they might change their diet. 
you know, and fast or become a vegetarian, not drink or smoke or do anything quote unquote normal. I know smoking is not normal anymore, but the point is that they do all these rather extreme practices because they think it's making them holy. And those are all toys, especially when we compare it to the power of your imagination. You know, no one really cares what you're doing, you know, and you're, you're fooling yourself a lot of the time by focusing so much on your diet or not drinking or doing a certain amount of yoga or meditation each day, unless that's directly affecting your conception of yourself. Now, if, you know, doing these things helps change your conception of yourself so you feel better, they're worth doing. But too often we get hung up doing these certain exercises and activities because we think it's going to make us a better person, a holier person. And it's bullshit. It doesn't actually work like that. I can really relate to this because, you know, not only did I, have I in the past tried various diets and, you know, various somewhat extreme things to change my health or you know, to feel better and found out that they, none of them really worked as well as I thought they might. Not only have I done that, but, you know, I meditated for years and I thought that meditation as a daily practice was somehow essential to something. And I, even though I had kind of a Zen outlook on it, like nothing matters, every, everybody's already free. I still thought it was important to meditate in a certain way every day, you know, and be almost militant about it. And I remember being on vacation uh, with my girlfriend at the time, now my wife. And, you know, I was like, you know what? I'm just not going to meditate today. I don't feel like it. We're on vacation. And now I had meditated every day, you know, probably for 10 straight years, except if I was very, very sick. So only a handful of days, probably in 10 years, had I not meditated for at least a half an hour. And that day we were on vacation. I just didn't meditate. And the next day I said, you know what? I'm just going to wait until we get back from vacation. I'm not going to meditate for the rest of, of this vacation. So I didn't. And when we got back from vacation, you know, I said, you know, I feel all right. I'm, I'm just not going to meditate unless I feel like it, you know, first thing in the morning. I don't have to meditate for 30 minutes or 45 minutes sitting upright, watching my breath, watching my thoughts. I don't have to do that unless I want to. So I'm not going to do that. And so I stopped. I stopped meditating until I felt like doing it. And... I didn't feel like doing it again in that manner ever again. I came out of the graveyard because I realized that that kind of militant formal meditation meant nothing. It had a fraction of the effect on my life as something like changing how I felt during the day, working with my imagination would. Now, I didn't know how to work with my imagination. I hadn't discovered Neville at this point. It was a few years before I discovered Neville. And what was interesting is after, you know, meditating every day for over a decade, I basically stopped meditating for, I don't know, I'd say three or four years. And I never thought I would go back to it, quite frankly, because I realized how little I had really gotten out of it. It didn't mean I wasn't a meditative person a lot of the time. I liked being a meditative person, but the formal militant aspect of it, I realized it wasn't that helpful usually. And uh, around this time, or in this time, in that three or four years before I discovered Neville and the Law of Attraction, uh, I had the pleasure of discovering the teachings of Yuji Krishnamurti, which are anti-teachings, super irreverent. And Yuji 
just so anti-everything in the best way, like an anarchist. He said, there's nothing you have to do. He goes, meditation is evil. You know, he said that kind of mockingly, jokingly. He also said that diets are total bullshit. If you want to read a good cookbook, you should check out Yuji's cookbook. I'll link to it. It's like an anti-cookbook. Yuji was saying you have to recognize what you inherently are. And he was doing it in his own way. Just a wonderful, wonderful guy. So anyway, I was pretty much anti-meditation. And it was only from discovering Neville that I got back into meditation. But when I got back into meditation, it was a totally different kind of meditation. Where it was subjective, it was relaxed, and it was really about working with myself. Working with myself in a good, effective way. And, you know, whether you're a hardcore meditator or a hardcore yoga practitioner or a hardcore certain kind of diet person or a hardcore being abstinent against, you know, booze or some other things. I think you can probably relate to that story in some way if you're listening to this podcast because we most of us go through that. We, we're living in the graveyard. And a lot of the law of attraction is coming out of the graveyard. And to be quite honest with you, most people who are into the law of attraction are still in the graveyard. So come out of the graveyard. Let me read a little bit more from this section of Five Lessons. Neville wrote, I came back walking this earth a completely transformed person. From that day, which was in February 1934, I began to live more and more. I cannot honestly tell you I have always succeeded. My many mistakes in this world, my many failures, would convict me if I told you that I have so completely mastered the movements of my attention that I can at all times remain faithful to the idea I want to embody. But I can say, with the ancient teacher, although I seem to have failed in the past, I move on and strive day after day to become that which I want to embody in this world. Suspend judgment. Refuse to accept what reason and the senses now dictate. And if you remain faithful to the new diet, you will become the embodiment of the ideal to which you remain faithful. Remain faithful to your idea. Work with your imagination. Don't put yourself in the graveyard and think you have to do certain aesthetic practices meditate or eat a certain way in order to feel good unify with what you want do it right now that's the easier way the better way